0: All right, well first of all it's uh, great to be in studio for the last and final time thank y'all uh, joining us uh, online that's uh, we're excited this is going to be our last time in studio and then we'll be back at the neighborhood gatherings for Only two or three more times, I think three more times, and then we are back together. We don't have to worry and live and die by uh, the tech issues, although I thank you so much for uh, your patience, and we've got great stuff going um, for all of this. We've got a lot of people in studio, I'm I'm excited about that, uh, and kind of just a living room vibe here. Now, this is a good, uh, kind of a free Sunday for me, I don't know about you, but uh, when I saw it was overcast. We were trying to decide if we were going to do what we were going to do for Church in the Park. Are we going to do it? What we felt, people might be scared off by the clouds, by the rain, but I knew as soon as we canceled, I knew as soon as it was, as we moved it online, the sun would come out, and when I walked in here, it was kind of hot because the sun was beating down, you know, Uh, and so uh, I knew that was going to be part of it, but it also provided me some freedom to be able to say... What I was going to do at the park was going to be about five minutes and ten minutes. And this morning I kind of woke up with this freedom of, you know what, I'm going to have a little more time. We're going to be online so I can preach on whatever I want. And I will be honest, I had no sermon prepared. Well, I prepared a sermon last night and then I said, you know what, I'm going to make this into a whole series. And so I scrapped that and I got up this morning I said, I just want to preach on what the Lord puts in front of me. So I spent a little time uh, praying and preparing for what God put on my heart. And I'm excited about this. It should be, I hope, pretty powerful for you. So um, hopefully that doesn't scare you, though, of, oh, my gosh, you don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Unlike other times, I, I feel God has put this directly on my heart. And so... Um, I want to start off with just conversations. I'm going to be talking to some of y'all in studio. Feel free to answer out loud. If you're online, I also want you, though, to respond. It's been a while since we've been in the habit of being online. In fact, you remember we used to do giveaways back in the day? I'll tell you what, we'll do a giveaway today on the fly. Uh, if you go for. I'll just pick a random comment, and uh, I'm going uh, to give away a gift card today. I think I'm going to do a, a movie gift card. I've got some of those, okay? So 25 bucks to the B&B today if you make a comment online, or I'll do dinner, your choice. I'll do a pizza dinner for you. So here's what I want to start off with, though. I want to talk about sports jinxes, okay? How many, uh, and this may be speaking to the guys today, the Mavs play at 2.30 today, and uh, it reminds us of, was it 10 years ago when the Mavs were in the, the finals? And I remember watching the finals. I would, I would move from place to place watching the finals because if, if I was in the wrong position in my mind, I, I know it's not logical, but sometimes I would move into another room and watch on a different TV or, or I just find a different position. Sometimes I would uh, do my part, so to speak, to make sure I wasn't jinxing them. In fact, my brother, uh, whenever we would watch Longhorn Games when I was in college, uh, we would actually, he would move around because if they were losing, he would go and watch from a different room. And then if they were, were winning in the second quarter or whatever, we'd make him stay in there. You know, he couldn't come back in because he, we do not want to jinx him. How many of y'all uh, believe in sports jinxes? Even if you wouldn't, you know, admit to it. How many of y'all have ever changed positions? Phil, you're with me. How many of you have ever, Seth, you're at Baseball. Player. I know baseball players are notorious uh, for this. Uh, flipping their cap. You've, got, you've done a rally cap? Yep. Yeah, okay. You put the rally cap or something? Yeah. There's always these things of, you know what, I got to do this to make the sports gods kind of go with me on this. And so I remember the number of times that I've taken partial credit for a Mavs victory or a Longhorn victory, it's probably more than I'd like to admit. Have you ever, have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever said, we won? You know, we won yeah. because you watched it, you know, on one leg balancing in the other room just so that your team would win. You did your part. You might have done more than Luca in some cases, right? It's just the way it is. We, we all got to play our part. Now, it's funny when it's a sports team. But it gets more serious when we view our entire relationship with God like that. As if we've got to, to position ourselves just right, if we've got to, to live just this way, but we have no idea if, if, if things are going well because God is mad at us or just because. Did, did we get rained out today because maybe I, uh, maybe I sinned? Maybe I did something wrong in my leadership. Maybe one of you sinned. Maybe one of you did something wrong, and you jinxed the whole church, and so God made it rain to punish us. It was probably Cindy, okay? Somebody, just kidding. She was pointing to herself. But sometimes we live life like this, as if, you know what? This happened because of something I did, or of course I didn't get the job. Of course, this would, the, uh, you know, of course I would be late, and traffic would hit, because I, I, I've, I've just been doing things. God is mad at me. God, you know, I have angered him somehow, and, and as far as I can tell, every religion from the history of ever is really just man's attempt to create a series of conditions that we can fulfill so that we can be confident, confident. That God is, is with us, that God is with us or not with us. And so every definition of religion, you think of anything, uh, even if it goes back to what we imagine cavemen of, you know, of trying to, to invoke the gods so that they could, to, could uh, um, win a battle or so that they could uh, um, have a fertility god and, and they, would, they would pray or they would invoke and there was divination, all these things have this basic idea in mind of how can I know that I have appeased the gods enough before I go into battle. How can I? What can I do to make sure that God is on my side and that I I haven't made him so mad that he's going to leave me alone? There's a book, and I actually have it on my bookshelf, so I thought I'd bring it out. It's a small book, but I think everybody should read it. It's uh, by Andy Stanley, and it's just simply "How Good Is Good Enough?" That's what it's called, and it's several. Um, it's it's a great little book. But one of the things he said in here is he said that a lot of us think of this idea of you know what, God, I just got to be good. I got to be good enough. And, or if I'm going to be in heaven, I got to do the, the right thing. How good is good enough is the title of the book. Because a lot of us, how, much, you know, how, much, uh, do you, how many times do you have to move back and forth but, you know, to get the win for your team? How much do you have to do? It's kind of just, it's up in the air. We just do it because we think it's going to be good enough. But the problem with it is that nobody really knows. Many of us live our life just wondering, have I been good enough? Am I right with God? How can I ever know? And in fact, I'll tell you the truth. I'm wearing a hat today because um, I had skin cancer removed from my forehead. Um, and this has become, in the last year, or year and a half, it's become a, just every time I go into the dermatologist, I've been... Uh, I've been to the dermatologist four times now in the last year, and I'm four for four on finding skin, <laughs> some sort of skin cancer. And so to the point where now I go, I'm like, I'll go for anything just because I know, hey, even if, if, if this little place isn't anything, they're going to find something. I just go with this knowledge that they're going to find something. And the good news is, is I've, uh, because I go so regularly, they, they, they usually catch it early, you know, they cut it early and it's, it's not serious. But here's what I know. There's going to be a day in which I go in, it may not be the the dermatologist, there's going to be a day in which I go in and I get a diagnosis or I begin to feel this is not where I want to be. This is not a good thing. This is not going to last forever. In fact, if there's one thing we can be confident of in this life is that nobody gets out of this life alive. And some of us in this very room have had these diagnoses. We've, we know what it's like to be like, to have our mortality put right in front of us. Last year, I had the, uh, um, a, a spot on my lung, and the doctor said, there's a 95% chance it's not cancer. And he said, hey, come back next year, and we'll see if it's still that. And so I'm looking forward. In fact, I've, I've got this date in August where I get to go back and find out. And, and it just kind of hangs on me because it, it's just something that hangs on us. And, and what I don't want to do is I don't want to go through life just with my fingers crossed, hey, did I, did I do enough to appease God? Did I do enough to get into heaven, to cross over and be confident? Did I do enough? This is a lifelong pursuit that everybody who has ever lived has battled. Is how can we appease the gods? How can we do enough? How can we make sure we haven't jinxed ourselves? And as far as I can, can see, as I think about this, there's only a few ways we can go about this. Now, some people can say, you know what, I'm just going to be an atheist. I'm going to say God doesn't exist, and I'm going to live my life as if he doesn't exist. I'm going to try as best I can to be guilt-free, and the problem with that is you're still going to get to the end of your life, or you're still going to get that diagnosis, and you're still going to have this wonder of, well, what if? It doesn't really solve the problem of, is that? Is that, have I done enough? Or some of us are going to Try to be good and just hope, you know, I'm just going to be good and hope. Some of us are going to spend, you know, a lot of our, our lives worrying. Did I do enough? Have I, have I done enough? And, and here's how most of us think, whether we admit it or not, here's how we think about religion. We think that basically God is, you know, whatever God is, is he's essentially good. And so if I can just be good enough well, a good God would let me into heaven. Now, what we mean by this is, if I were God, I would be a good God, and I would let me into heaven. That's what we mean, understand, when we say uh, a good God would let us into heaven. We say, hey, if I were God... That's probably a bad assumption. I would be good. That's probably a bad assumption. And I would let me into heaven, okay? And, and that's the giving yourself the benefit of the doubt. How many of us give ourselves the benefit of the doubt way more than we give other people the benefit? Of the doubt. Most of us, when we think about, will God let us into heaven? Of course, He would. I've been good enough. One of the things Andy Stanley says in this book, is he says when we live life that way, it's as if we are getting on a a starting line for a race and then we hear the gun go off and the race begins and we notice there is no course in front of us. There is no finish line. It's just simply a go. I'll tell you when you're done. I'll tell you if you won. You would never run a race like that. You would never run a, a, a race where you have no idea how you're doing. You have no idea if the fastest guy is ahead of you or is he running the wrong direction and he's in, the, in last place. You would never ever want to run a ra- race like that. But yet, many of us just say, "I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to do everything I can," and then uh, and and God's going to just let me into heaven. And then what we do is we compare ourselves to other people, and we usually compare ourselves to uh, to people that are less than us, or at least, you know, hey, if they got a shot, I got a shot, right? It's just the way that it goes. So what I want us to do today is I want to show you that no I, no other religion, no other philosophy, there is no philosophy as far as I can tell that has just given us the confidence to say, how can I know that not only am I going to go to heaven someday, that I'm, that I'm living right with God right now, that God is with me. He is for me, and that that God loves me, and not only does He love me, He likes me. How can I be sure and confident of that? How many of us today would like to just know, man? This rain wasn't because of something I did, man. the, the reason I'm in traffic isn't because of something I did. I didn't get that job because God is isn't because God is mad at me. I, I'm right with God, and God is going to see me through all of these things. That's what I want to show you today. You see, the Bible gives us a new way to think. Now, the problem is that many of us know about the Bible. We know what other people have said. We might even, you know, every once in a while read a verse, went to to look up a verse to find something, but we don't really devour it. We really don't get into the stories and understand what's going on. And so some of the verses appear to say one thing, when if you'll dig in and it's not complicated, it's not hidden, but if you'll spend time learning what God is teaching us through all of his scriptures, I'm telling you, it will open up your eyes so that you can be confident of your relationship with God, and where you will spend eternity. So that's my goal at the end of this, is that you have 100% confidence, one way or the other, where you stand with God. Now we're going to start in the Old Testament. I want us to look at Leviticus chapter 1. Now Leviticus is one of my favorite books. Gets a bad rap, I think. Um, But it starts off in chapter 1, it says this in verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meetings. Now a little background, uh, the tent of meetings was a, um, a place in the tabernacle and in, in the book of Exodus, which is right before this, this passage, it's right before Leviticus, the book of Exodus, they spent a whole bunch of time in the wilderness building a tabernacle. That is building uh, this, uh, it's a tent within a tent and it's kind of a space where they can meet with God. But what we see at the end of Exodus is there is a problem. The Lord called, and the uh, Lord called Moses, meaning Moses wasn't with him. The Lord had to call him, and he spoke to him, that is, God spoke from the tent, but Moses could not go into the tent. This is what it says in Exodus uh, chapter 40, verse 34. It says, "The cloud that covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle." So God's presence came down to be with the people." It says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and it creates a problem. Moses cannot, can no longer go in to the presence of the Lord. I want to read to you now. That's uh, at the beginning of Leviticus. It starts off, Moses cannot go into the tent. Now I'm going to read to you Numbers 1, chapter 1. Okay, that's the next book after Leviticus. This is how it starts. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. So Exodus or Leviticus starts with, he called him from, he couldn't go into it. But when we get to numbers, when we get to the next book, Moses is now in the tent of, um, in the presence of the Lord. So something exciting happened in Leviticus. We found out a way in which we can be in the presence of the Lord. That's why it's an important book because without it, they would never have confidence and understand every other religion around them was divining, trying to get the, um, God to, to bless them in their crops, bless them over here, bless them over there. And the this, Israelites had the same problem you and I had. How do we know if we can't even be with God? How do we know God is for us? But now all of a sudden, after Leviticus, they're able to say, oh, because Moses is in there. And if you just, if you just read it, Leviticus, you'll see there's a lot of laws. It talks about being clean and unclean. It talks about you got to do this and that. And most of us, when we see that, we say, oh, that's, that's religion. you got to follow these laws. And if you follow these laws, you can be near God. And that's how we read Leviticus. But that is not what is going on here. If you've read through the, the first five books of the Bible, you'll notice something that's special about Moses. Exodus 33 says this in, chapter, in verse 11. It says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. You see, you begin to see that Moses going into the tabernacle, the, the, the reason wasn't just that God had made a way, which God had, but it was also that there is already this relationship with Moses. Moses had already spoken face to face with God. This relationship preceded Leviticus, it preceded any laws, any rules. There was this relationship that God said, Moses, I'm going to let you speak on behalf, I'm going to let you know me. And because you know me, you're going to always know that you're good. You're going to always know that you're you're with me. In fact, um, Exodus 20. I'm going to go there now. This is the Ten Commandments, and we've heard the Ten Commandments. And if you've ever looked at the Ten Commandments, at first you're like, "Oh, I'm good. I haven't committed adultery." Or maybe uh, you look at it and you say, "Oh no, you know, I'm not good." But here's the problem: is that you begin to look at it, and you're like, it gets to things like "Do not covet," and you're like, "Well, that's a fine line. Might not be as good as I thought." And we look at the Ten Commandments the same way we look at Leviticus or any of the other laws of, man, it's just more rules, more laws to, feel, to, to make me feel guilty that I cannot be good enough for God. And we look at the Ten Commandments as if I could just do these Ten Commandments, then I'm going to be good enough. But the problem is, when we really examine our lives, we're like, well... My heart was kind of coveting. I was I was not fully where I need to be. That that one that says don't have any other gods before me. Well, if I look at my life and I look at where I'm placing worship or, or the things I'm investing in, it, it might be more than just a little bit. I might be in danger. But in Exodus twenty verse two, I want you to to, to notice this. It says, "I am the Lord your God." Okay, This is before the Ten Commandments. These are the, this is the verse that starts the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord, your God. That's relationship. The relationship. I am the Lord. I am already your God. I am already with you. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt? I have already saved you. I, have alre- I am already your God, and I have already saved you. You haven't done anything. You haven't, you haven't fulfilled one law yet. But yet, I am your God. We have a relationship. I know you. And I've brought you, I've already saved you from Egypt. Everything we're about to do has nothing to do with if you're going to be able to live up because I'm already your God. And I already know you're not gonna do enough. I've already saved you. I've already taken care of all of the things you have done wrong. I have already saved you. Here's the big idea of this message that I want you to hear. When we read the Old Testament, the law is not a condition of the relationship. The law is confirmation of a relationship. The law is not a condition, it is a confirmation. Because he gives them the law, he's saying, I'm gonna give you a way in which you'll know. You'll know that we have a relationship, but don't mistake, and this is where we go wrong, don't mistake this law as the condition of what's gonna keep our relationship. I'm already your God, I've already saved you, okay? And and so don't mistake this as you gotta be good enough. Instead, I just want to give you a way to live so that when you live this way, you'll be able to say, the reason I'm living this way is because I've got a God who's already saved me. He's already my God. I've already got this relationship. When we look at the Old Testament, it get a, gets a bad rap. A lot of times we say, man, I just feel so guilty. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, you know what? I would love to be able to tell people that Jesus will give you peace. But the truth is, I feel so guilty because all of us struggle with sin, all of us, if we were to live, if, if being good enough is a condition of a relationship with God or, or, or going to heaven, all of us every single day are going to be trying to live up and, and check off a checklist of, am I good enough? But that's never the way it was intended. Even when we look at the Old Testament we see it was always a relationship that precedes the religion, the rules. All of the rules came after the relationship, and the rules were just a gift. The law was a gift. If you want to be confident... Well, just listen, align your life, live this way. And if you fall, come back to me, come back to the relationship and just begin to obey, begin to live these rules again. And it was a confidence. The reason Jews love the the law so much and the Hebrews love the law so much is because they could go back to this covenant and they could say, oh man, I know I'm in the family. I know I'm in the family. And when I'm living like this, it reminds me he's already saved me. He's already started this relationship. So I want to show you what it looks like in real life. In John chapter 8 Jesus comes up on a woman who uh, was not living a life pleasing to God. She was caught in adultery. She was breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And, and you may know the story. Um, Jesus, uh, he gets down on the dirt and he draws. We don't know what he draws. And then he, he tells, hey, anyone without sin cast the first stone and everybody begins to walk away from her. But then he, he looks at her and he says, woman, where are they? He says, has no one condemned you? In other words, he's forgiving. He's, he's God in the flesh, and he's saying, no one has condemned you. He's giving her forgiveness. She hasn't done a thing. She hasn't even said, hey, I want forgiveness. She hasn't even said that. All he has done is he's come and he said, hey, where are they? Has anyone? She says, no one, Lord. She calls him Lord. She's already seeing the relationship. She's seeing the heart of God. She's seeing this. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. From now on, sin no more. Now, most of us, we would read this. Maybe you've read this like this. And you would think, man, that seems like a big weight to put on somebody as you send them off as Jesus sends off. Because some of us read this as a condition. Hey, I don't condemn you now, but sin no more. You got to go and sin no more. Now, how many of us would feel good if Jesus himself says, hey, i forgive you, but don't sin anymore? How many of us would walk away thinking, Oh, my gosh. I would probably feel worse than if I had never met, you know, Jesus. I would much rather. Yeah, I would be like, seriously, Jesus, we're going to have to meet every single day. Every single, you know, probably four times a day at least, right? Just to clean the slate. But, but, But we need to ask the question, well, what saved her? Was it this condition? Was that a condition? And no, we recognize. No, it was a relationship. It was Jesus himself who saved her. The same way that God gave Leviticus in these laws. And he said, listen, it's me that saves. God is the one who saves. He gave the the law as a way for us to know, to be confident. Hey, you can live this way. You can live a righteous life, but you're not doing it so that you can be good enough, so that I'll love you. I already love you. The relationship's already there. I've already saved you. I've already done the work. So, so, Jesus is giving her an invitation. You are now invited. You are free. You can go and sin no more. You now have a heart that I'm going to start working in, and, and it's not a condition. She's going to go out and she's, going to, she's not going to go to the same place she came from. She's going to go, and the next time she has an opportunity uh, uh, to, to go into an affair or, to, or to, to go her own way, she's going to think back and she's going to say, You know what? I know this guy, Jesus, now. I want to live different. I want to go his way and she's going to make a different decision and it's going to be confirmation of the relationship, not the condition. She's not going to go, you know what? I I was going to go home. I was going to go back to this guy, but instead, you know, then Jesus will get mad at me. No, no, it's I'm free now to live for Jesus and have this God who's already saved me. I want that. She's free when she goes and it's confirmation because this sin no more is a gift for her. This call to holiness, which is what we see with God, one of the things you you learn in Leviticus is that you can't just walk into the tent of meaning. You can't just walk into God's presence. He has made a way, but He's also holy. He is holy, which means set apart. And so when the, the way we would say it in eighties rap lingo would be, you got to come correct. That's why. so we would never mind. Anyway, you got to come correct. You've got to come on his terms. He is so holy. He can, we can, he's not going to be in the presence of us sinners when we are not, but he has made a way. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you can come into the presence of God. And so that you can have confidence the next time, he knew she's going to sin again. You can have confidence the next time that you fall, the next time that it doesn't go your way. You can have confidence. You're just going to think back to this relationship. You're going to think back, I've already forgiven you. And because of that, you're going to go and you're going to live different. And it's going to be confirmation, not a condition. I want to show you the negative real quick of this. If you look at Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is preaching a sermon. And he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father in heaven. He says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do other mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. This is what I want you to see. As many of us would say, man, man, uh, we're, we're like them, they're focused on, hey, I met the conditions. I did enough. I prophesied. I did mighty works. I did all the stuff I needed to do. And Jesus says to them, as clear as you can be, you want these conditions, you say you did enough, but without this relationship, I don't know you. Without this relationship, it's not just that you can't live up to the conditions. Without the relationships, there are no conditions. Without a relationship with God, there is no, there's nothing to live up to. You can't do, if, if you want to come live in my house and I don't know you, hey, there's not enough goodness you can, I got to know you for you to stay in my house, to be a part of my life. That's just the way, this relationship, it's not, it doesn't just precede the rules. It's, it's the whole thing that necessitates. Hey, the very reason I'm going to give you an opportunity to obey and to live this life is because I know you. And I want to just show you their heart also. You see that they're not living a life, by the way, of, of giving to the poor and generosity and giving away all their... No, no, no. What, they're doing stuff that people are going to look at them. They're able to say, man, it's all about me. You know, hey, I was doing mighty works. Hey, I was preaching. I was prophesying. I was doing these things. It's not a, a servant heart. There's all of this. this You can see a little just in the, the things that they're saying, hey, didn't I do this for you? Their conditions, what I want you to see is their conditions were made up in their own mind, Okay. They didn't come to God correct. They didn't come with this, uh, with this humbleness, this humility. It'd be like me saying to my wife, how can you be mad at me tonight? Hey, I cleaned, I tucked the kids in, all this. True, I'm going to leave and go watch the game and do all. I'm not going to be with you at all. I'm going to do it my way. But I, I, I did the checklist. No marriage survives if you live your life thinking, hey, as long as I do the checklist, I'll get her off my back. It'll be fine. That's not how it goes. You want to, to have more than just a checklist and a relationship. The relationship is the, the, the entire point. And, and so what I want you to see is the greatest tragedy of our, of our world right now is that we are elevating ourselves. We are elevating our, our truth. We're trying to live our truth instead of coming to rec- correct God and seeing He's already made a way. He's already given us this opportunity. He's already done it all for us. And all we've got to do is say, I'm going to obey Him, His way. Not because I want to be good enough, but because He's already done it. I want that relationship. So here's what I want you to think about. You feel like Maybe have you felt like God is mad at you? Maybe God's punishing you for something you did, something you thought. Maybe you're stuck right now in a sin that you swore off a hundred times over that you would would stop doing it, but stress comes or whatever happens and and you fall back into that sin and in your, your, your brain, you begin to think, I jinxed it. Now God is going to bring the rain. Now God is going to, I'm never going to get that job. I'm never going to be blessed because God is mad at me. And your whole life is this balancing act of trying to be good enough. And you've been to church, you know all these things, but when you think about the Bible or you think about the rules and you think about the law, you forget about that relationship part. You forget that he saved you before he ever asked you to do a thing. He simply loved you. Man, some of you may have gotten some life-altering scares and you're wondering, what's going to happen next? Have I done enough? Have I, am I, how can I be sure? The one thing I want you to know is that there's this confidence we can have in the relationship, not in our ability to follow the rules. Jesus said it this way, or John said it about Jesus this way. This is in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, Okay, receive him, that is relationship, who who began a relationship with him. For all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that is they believed that Jesus went to the cross and and put death to that cross and said, even if if I can't do it, I believe Jesus did it. He had the power to do it. He gave them the right to become children of God. Your right to become a child of God is not because of what you did. It's because of who you know and what he did. If you want to have confidence that you can have an eternal life that starts now, not when you die, that starts now, you will be in the presence of God now. He is with you now. If you want to have that confidence, I want you to lean into your relationship. I want you to understand every time that that you, you... sin or you fall back. It's not that you didn't meet a condition. I want you to instead run to your father in heaven, run to your savior and say, I need more grace, Jesus. But it's you. I know you made a way. You gave me this gift of a new life. So I'm going to lean into that relationship for you. That may be, I'm going to spend time in the word, just reading. Maybe it's going to, I'm going to get into a church, into a group, and I'm going to get around people who can speak relationship into me and can speak the relationship of God so that I can know not just about him, I can know him. Ultimately, I hope that you get to a place where you pursue holiness, not because you think you're good enough, not because you think it's a condition that maybe God will love you if you can just be good enough, but you begin to see when I set my life to be like God's, all of a sudden it's confirmation man, I'm like my Father. I'm like my Creator. I'm like my Savior. He saved me. Let's pray. Lord, my heart for anyone listening to this is that they go for this day and the next day and they never fall back into that rut of, am I good enough? How do I know that I've done enough so that you're not mad at me today? How do I know enough so that you're not mad at me for eternity? How do I know enough so that I can be confident? You don't just love me, you like me. You want me to succeed. You want me to be blessed. So Lord, I pray that you'll just begin to draw us to you, to Jesus, to the person of Jesus, to the attributes that we know. Hey, I know God. I don't just know about him. When we think about your goodness, Lord, let it be because we've experienced this relationship and it's not just this pursuit of a checklist or or things that we think you might like. Lord, draw us to you. Let us pursue holiness in a whole new way because it makes us more like you. Lord, change our hearts so that we can... Day by day, become more like you and we'll be less of who we were and more of who you have called us to be. Lord, I thank you so much for the gospel, for knowing that you went to a cross. You died on a cross and you covered our sins. You made the ultimate Leviticus, the ultimate sacrifice. You made a way that we could be with you. But you didn't just stay there, you proved it. By rising from the grave, Lord, you gave us the confidence to say, it doesn't matter what I go through, I have a God who can raise the dead, and he can certainly change my heart. So, Lord, let me every single day live a resurrected life, live a life that pursues you, not because of what I need to do, but simply because of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.